0: In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, uh-huh, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do
1: I have to say? Yes, you do.
0: In the car before my kid's PTA meeting? Really?
2: Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell.
2: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now.
1: Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: The world is filled with many questions, such as, Did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world?
0: How serious even is climate change and when should we start building our rafts?
2: Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery, Mystery of Everything. Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Off the coast of Southern California, the small crew of the Tinker ship Watertown were quiet and somber as they went about their work. Captain Tracy wasn't a man of many words, but he had done his best to comfort the crew when he put two of their shipmates into the deep waters. Seaman Courtney had been overcome by fumes, and Meehan had tried to save him, but died in the process. At the memorial the day before, he gently reminded the man that the sea is an unforgiving mistress who covets sailors. It was nearing sunset when a commotion started on the catwalk below. He sent a deck cadet down to see what was happening. A few moments later, the cadet was back shouting, ''Captain, it's Courtney and Meehan. Their faces are in the water, and they're following us!'' Welcome to Monster Talk, the show that pours the water of science on the wicked witch of credulity. I'm Blake Smith, and together with my intrepid co-hosts, Dr. Karen Stolzno and Benjamin Radford, we examine the mysteries of things that go bump in the night and try to find out what science and rational investigation can tell us about these topics. Tonight, we continue our two-part look at historical investigations by discussing the story of the ghosts of the water town. Let's jump right in.
0: Monster Talk
2: Okay, Uh, we're going to pick up tonight and start on part two of our historic ghost investigations and reminder that the investigative techniques we're going to discuss are pertinent to monster hunting or ghost hunting or any kind of paranormal investigation. When we talked last week, we covered Ben and Karen's uh, uh, investigations. And I'm going to talk a little bit about a a case that I worked on, and then we'll get into... uh, a little bit of the mechanics uh, using uh, Ben's upcoming book is sort of a, uh, a primer for how people can do their own investigations using a lot more scientific methods than you would be given if you just used TV as a guideline. <laughs> Before we do that, I want to mention that um, Dr. Brian Regal, who was a previous guest on, on Monster Talk, um, is going to be giving a speech or a talk called Evolution and Monsters at Keene University in New Jersey on Thursday, April 29th at 3.15 at the Carriage House in Liberty Hall. Uh, So Dr. Regal was a great guest for us, and I think if people are in the New Jersey area, they may enjoy going to hear him talk. All right, I guess I'll just get started on the Watertown, um, if that's okay with you guys. Blake, tell us about your Watertown investigation. (laughs) No, I don't want to hear it. I, I do appreciate you guys listening to this again, since you sort of followed through the whole investigative process. We'll um, pretend
0: to have forgotten it all.
2: Oh, oh, excellent. Well, that's fine. Well, no, no so I, who, I actually who, say, who are you again? Uh, I'm uh, Dr. Atlantis. Dr. Atlantis. Yes. Okay, yeah, you may recall ahead. my emails. No, I do remember. I appreciate you guys listening and being a sounding board for my investigation because, um, uh, it's, it's really nice to get some outside opinions of how you're doing your investigation. Um, and just, it's nice to have someone else to talk to about it, I'll say that. Well,
0: it can be lonely work, can't <laughs> it,
2: it? It can be, it, it really is. All right, so just to start out, the um, the Watertown is a case that I investigated um, as part of a series of investigations I'm calling uh, Things That Scared the Crap Out of Me as a Kid. All right, well, enough said. It's an interesting case, and the reason I find it interesting is because it's one of the few times that people allegedly see a ghost, get a camera, take a picture, develop the photos, and find pictures of a ghost. And um, when I was a kid reading ghost books, because I really um, was hooked on the paranormal section of the uh, library in my school growing up, um, there were these photos in several of the paranormal books about uh, uh, ghosts, of the Watertown ghosts. And it's basically, the story is that two of the crewmen of this this oil tanker um, were overcome by fumes and died and had to be buried at sea off the coast of somewhere between California and Mexico. They buried them at sea, but then a few days later, or maybe a day later, depending on which version you hear, um, their faces became visible in the water off the side of the ship. And this continued all the way through until they passed through the uh, Panama Canal And then it stopped, and when they got back to their home port in Louisiana, um, the captain of the boat, or the ship, rather, Captain Keith Tracy, made a report to the company, which was City Service, which was an oil company. According to the story, Captain Tracy was given a camera that he locked up in a safe, so no one could tamper with it. And then the next time they went back to the area where the crewmen had been buried, sure enough, the faces appeared again. Captain Tracy got the camera out of the safe took six photographs, put the camera back in the safe, and left it in the safe until they got back again to port in Louisiana. And when he came back to port, an officer of the company took the camera and transported it to New York, where it was developed by a professional photography company. And when the photo came out, five of the photos just showed water, but the sixth showed Two faces in the water, and everyone agreed that at least one of the faces did look like one of the dead crewmen. Mm.
1: Well,
2: it is about what year was this? Uh, Nineteen twenty-four. So that photo is all over the internet, and so when I got to looking into this case, I thought, well, I'll see um, if I can find a better copy of the photo because the one that's out there is a really grainy. Uh, photo that doesn't have a lot of detail in it, and I remember when I first started looking into it, I called you, Ben, and we were talking about it. And you picked up a book and looked, and sure enough, you you saw the photo. I, I tried to find the original source of the photo, and that's a tricky idea if if you're if you're doing an investigation like this because the ghost publication world, the world of ghost books, is a giant echo chamber, and everybody repeats the ghost stories often using almost the same text. And rarely do they include where they got their information. So you, if you're trying to track it down to the original source, um, it's, really, it's really hard.
0: That's going back so long ago as well.
2: Exactly. Well, This, this case is <laughs> what you might call a very, very cold case. Very dead case. Yeah, a very, very dead case. It was tricky. I did eventually track it down to that the first person to do a serious paranormal investigation was a guy named Hereward Carrington. And Carrington uh, had done a lot of psychic investigations, and I get the impression he was somewhat skeptical, but a lot of his investigations, um, he seemed to be a believer of uh, uh, psychic powers and maybe poltergeist, that kind of thing. He went to the offices of City Service, which is the oil company in question, and he talked to an executive there. And at the time, the case was already more than 10 years old. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he he asked about the you know the original story which he had seen in i believe fortune magazine which fortune was actually a new magazine at that time uh it had run a little blurb about it and he also got a copy of it fortune had actually reprinted a story from city services internal house magazine uh which was called service and it had just basically run a little story that said do you believe in ghosts and told uh, a version of the story of the the crewman dying and had the photo at the time that he did his investigation here were Carrington, the people involved uh, on the ship, the whole crew had already been split up and some of the people involved with the story were already dead. So he wasn't able to talk to any primary sources, but the officer of the company assured them that um, it was absolutely a true story and that they had in, in their um, offices downstairs, they had taken a photo and blown it up and put it on the wall so that people could see it. It was quite a conversation piece. That was really the only research that had been done into the case for some time. And and, uh, In the 50s, um, a magazine came out called Fate. It's it's still around, and it's kind of a uh, mystery-mongering kind of publication, but it'll run a skeptical article now and again. If they have to. If
1: (laughs) If there's no room for anything else.
2: I, I talked to Joe Nickel about it, and he, he'd he actually run some, uh, you know, uh, work in there. I, and, you know, it, it, I think he had mixed feelings about it. But uh, I believe they paid, uh, which was, you know, somewhat different than a lot of the skeptical magazines. So, you know. True enough. And it, it's good to do it. It's like an outreach program that actually pays you. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, they had done an investigation and just sort of took a version sort of a heavily fictionalized version of the story, and ran it and said they were unable to find a copy of the photo. Well, this copy of the magazine, this this issue of Fate, really stuck in the mind of a guy named Michael G. Mann. And um, Michael was a um, UFO fanatic uh, who lived in New York. He had a UFO group with his friend Jonas Cover, and they used to um, uh, make fake UFO photos. Never. <laughs> I know it's probably the only people in that field who do that. I um, would imagine so. <laughs> we found
1: the one people that ever done
2: that, that. So I thought, well, okay. So he actually his photo in Fate magazine. It turns out is the one that's all over the internet. And at the time, I was really I was really trying to find out if I could get a copy of the photo that didn't have those giant arrows on it, right? And because these, there's the photo, we'll put the photo in the show notes, but the the photo has these big arrows and they point at the faces. But I mean, honestly, you you don't need the arrows to see the faces. So I always thought that was kind of odd. And I really wanted to see a copy of the photo without the arrows. And that was kind of like my uh, crazy quest that I was on.
1: uh, focusing on the importance of going back to the original sources.
2: Exactly, because I wanted to see the primary. I wanted to see the photo, the original photo. I also uh, wanted to know more about the crewmen that had died, because if the st- when you're looking at these cases, one of the things you might want to look at is, can you falsify the case, right? It's, it's tricky, but if you think about it, if there never were a crewman, uh, crewman, M- Meehan, and, and uh, is it? Oh, I'm going to mess up their names. Courtney and Meehan if crewman Courtney and Meehan never really died, if they didn't die on December 4th, 1924 on that ship, well, then they certainly couldn't be the ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. So typically, uh, ships keep something called deck logs that would, that if someone dies or anything happens of significance on the ship, they would enter that information into the log books. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought, well, if I could just get the log books and check them for December 4th, 1924, if no deaths are mentioned, Case closed. You know, I don't know what the photo is, but it's not those two guys dead, right? Exactly. Uh, So um, to that end, I did uh, a lot of preliminary research, and I I hired an archivist to go to the National Archives to pull all the records for the Watertown, only to discover, um, after she got there, that the index for the archives, that is the place where they keep all the information about what's supposedly housed there, wasn't actually up to date versus what's actually in the archives. And in this case, the records for the deck logs had all been destroyed as part of a documentation cleanup in the, I believe, in the 70s. Uh, They were trying to save space, and I guess this was before um, microfilm and digital archiving made it possible to store a lot more information in a smaller space. Hmm. So there are no deck logs for the Watertown. And the Watertown herself is destroyed. Uh, She's been scrapped and in fact at that point there was no photo of the Watertown except for the ghost photo um, available in the public domain or or even honestly in the archives I couldn't find any either. So the Watertown had five sister ships and all of them ended up doing time in the military. They were refitted for military service but all of the ships had been scrapped by 1954 and and one had been sunk by torpedo in the war. Um, so I, I could find a few pictures of those, but I was kind of, um, I was looking for the different ships and trying to find anybody who could tell me a little bit more because I couldn't even get the measurements for the ship. I got this idea in my head that there was something funny about the photo. When I kept looking at it, it seemed to me that, that having been on a ship and served almost anywhere you're on the sh- side of a ship looking over the edge at the water, a face would be really small. But these photos, these faces in the picture are really large, or they seemed unusually large. Even back when Harold Carrington talked about it, he mentioned that the faces were somewhat larger than in death. But he also said something else strange. He said they were noticed a 1,000 feet off the side of the ship, which is a crazy distance. I mean, that's a crazy distance in, 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 in general. Right? There was a lot of things about the story that were starting to seem a little weak. But I did track down a Michael Mann's uh, Widow. Um, And she agreed to go through his collection. She had a lot of his writings. She had sent all his photos off to the UFO Museum in Roswell, New Mexico, where I suppose they could be viewed now if you wanted to. If I go back out there again, I'll I'll take a time and take a look at them.
1: Yeah, come check it out.
2: Yeah, and uh, Michael Mann's write-up on the the, the information he did uh, on the ship, he also ended up going to city service and doing another interview and when he went there was actually more information about the ship than Hereward was able to find when he had only when it was only 10 years old as a case that's a to me that has now become a um, a sign that something's wrong but basically a story should not get more detail as time goes along you have fewer uh lines of evidence, if you think about it. In other words, if, if nobody's found new evidence, if no one's found any additional uh, details, a logbook or another witness has come forward to give additional details, the story itself should not become more detailed. It shouldn't evolve to gather more details. But that seems to be what happens in these sort of cases. Um, those uh, additional details can be very folkloric in nature. Like in this case, the story had evolved to the point that uh, not only did the... Um, uh, the negatives get taken to a lab, and everyone uh, had them professionally verify there was no fraud, but also uh, that the negatives were investigated by a detective agency and found to be uh, without fraud. No names on the case, and I tried to contact the detective agency, and they had no records of it that they could talk about, um, and I don't think that ever actually happened.
1: I was going to say, it sounds very dubious to me.
2: But. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, I don't, the uh, investigation I did on Lord Dufferin's ghosts, uh, or ghosts that he was supposed to have seen. Uh, that one, you know, there was a, a story that there was an elevator crash, and, and then it was supposed to have been investigated by Scotland Yard uh, and the French police. And of course it wasn't because it never really happened. But that detail was supposed to add verisimilitude to the thing.
0: Yeah, like an urban legend.
2: Exactly like an urban legend. You know, again, I think these things sort of become sticky to folklore. Uh, and it gloms onto them.
0: And where do you think these embellishments came from in the Watertown? In, in story. the in
2: the Watertown story, I'm I'm pretty sure the embellishments came from generations of people working at City Service who had to look at that ghost photo every day.
0: <laughs> it's very iconic, isn't it? Yeah,
2: because I, I I gather there was like a marketing department or a public relations department that would talk to people about the case if they wanted to. And I imagine the story just got handed down from one generation of uh, copywriters to the next. Um, and, and, and that 's how that happened i 'd be curious to know
1: whether that was one of the first ghost photos or alleged ghost photos that happened outside of say for example, uh, a spiritualism seance or uh, you know or some intentional hoaxing like William Mumler. Um, obviously, a, a lot of the early ghost photographs were uh, portraits were done for sitters, you know, where there would be a double exposure and whatever else. But I I would suspect this is uh, one of the first ones that was taken or allegedly taken, um, you know, outside of that sort of setting, more sort of in you know, in the wilderness or out on the out on the high seas. Um, it's, I can't think of any other earlier ones off the top of my heads that are really in that category.
0: I'd agree with you there, and I think this is certainly one of the cool ones before the days of Orbs. (laughs) This is is much more impressive.
1: Back when there were cool ghost photos.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I, I do find some of the older ghost photos to be more exciting. I mean, the ones that I really am interested in are like the ones um, um, I'm I'm looking into the uh, Wim Town Hall ghost girl, um, which is a, a much more modern case. Uh, the, what about the, that
0: spirit on the stairwell and uh, the spirit in the back of a London cab? Uh, the right.
2: one, the one in the back of the car. You mean where, like, there's an old man and, uh, apparently in yes. the backseat? Yeah, that's a great photo. Um, mm-hmm. If it is a face, which is always the question. It certainly looks like a face, but there's this whole uh, phenomena of, of pareidolia, and so many things can appear to be a face. And in the case of the Watertown ghost, even if. I didn't come to the conclusions I eventually came to. The photos themselves could arguably be just shapes in the water. They're not definitively human shapes.
1: I, just, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you were, uh, you were talking about uh, deciding how big the faces were. Indeed. In
2: fact, talking to you guys, you, know, you kind of tried to dissuade me from my, that angle, and, and I appreciate that. It's one of those things where I had an idea that these faces were too big— um, but it would be really tricky to prove it, and maybe pointless, because how big is a ghost if we don't even know what a ghost is, right? right. <laughs> I mean, I've just never heard of a ghost as large as the ghosts seem to be in this photo. Angels
0: fe- on a pinhead.
2: <laughs> well, right, exactly. You could have angels on a pinhead, or in this case, you could have ghosts uh, who, whose the faces of which are probably something like seven feet tall. Um, You know, that's that's scary. (laughs) Right. It's it's eerie. Um, Giant ghosts. I took um, I I did a lot of research on the case and and what in general, the details of the various stories, which did differ, indicated that the photo was taken uh, right near the catwalk um, near the tower on the ship. But when I looked at the ship, what I actually did was I found one of the identical sister ships. Um, a a very nice woman from a a genealogy board, uh, I found her discussing one of the other ships and she said she had a great photo that showed the ship, uh, perpendicular, uh, or where it was end to end in the camera looking straight at it. Right. So you can see the entire length of the ship. And then from that you could make measurements. So anyway, I, I, so seeing, being able to get the ship in the end to end, I was able to make measurements, um, and determine how far from the water the photographer would have been probably we we know the ship would have been loaded if it was really taking when it was supposed to be and so i could take uh those measurements and then take a camera and using the same distances photograph two people's heads at you know and see how big they were in in this case uh you know i they typically obviously there's not a lot of pictures from the water town so i mean Clearly, it's a small crew running this big oil tanker. It doesn't take a lot of people to run an oil tanker, even back then, apparently. Um, but they just apparently were not very much into taking photographs, at least, or at least their relatives are, haven't been very forthcoming with you know putting crew pictures up on the Internet. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the, 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 the bottom line is that that experiment showed that these faces are ginormous, and that's a, a technical term. Uh, <laughs> so I, I did this investigation and I wrote up my conclusions in, uh, 40 and times. Uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's actually in the current UK edition of 40 and times and it'll be in the May edition of the U S version. And I don't want to spoil the case cause I mean, I think it's a great write-up. <laughs> well, I wrote it, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Just face it, it's awesome. Super awesome. There's a lot more details in there. You know, the experiment photo, I think, shows uh, that whatever the things in the water are, uh, they're not anything like a human sized face. And I, I think it matters in this sense because, like, you've talked about, you guys were talking about well, how big is a ghost. But when you're looking at ghosts, if you see a ghost that's just a head floating in the water, and it's seven friggin' feet tall. I'm not going to say, oh, my, look, the face of my dead semen is in the water. I'm going to say, Jimmy, Christmas, there's a seven-foot-tall hand floating in the water. (laughs) And what's my semen doing in the water? Why is my semen floating? (laughs) You know why. I do. It's like egg drop soup off there. It's ridiculous. (laughs) So in this particular case, I have to give credit to you guys for helping me out and uh, to Tim Binga at the uh, Center for Inquiry Library. Wow, he's got some great resources it was extremely generous. Uh,
1: how would you say that the, the Watertown sort of fits into the, uh, the milieu of, uh, of ghost photographs? Wait,
2: I have to, wait, wait, not quite done. I have to mention that if you ask Joe Nickel for help on a case, be prepared for Joe to come in and solve it. <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. because Yes. Because uh, uh, I asked Joe for some help, and then uh, he... Although I had done a lot of work on this case and feel like I knew where it was going, uh, Joe was the one who provided with the absolute positive solution. So uh, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it because it saved me. Uh, wh- one of the other things about cases like this, it's a historical case. If you become obsessed with solving it, it may turn out that you can't. And you have mm-hmm. to know when to walk away. That's that
0: doesn't mean it's paranormal, though.
2: It does not mean it's paranormal, but it absolutely can take over your life, and that doesn't mean it's a demon either. <laughs> Are
0: you right. speaking from personal experience?
2: I'm just saying that you've got to know when to stop. I mean, you've got to know when to say, okay, I need to put this on hold and see if any other evidence comes up. And, and I'll give you an example. In this case, two pieces of evidence, two lines of evidence that I was looking into, I wanted to see if there were any issues of the original service magazine. Because service was the first place that the ghost photo was ever published, I thought maybe if I could track that down, it might not have those giant arrows on it. It might just show an uncropped photo. And the second was that there was a magazine in Wisconsin, like a uh, like you would have an insert magazine in a newspaper, um, one of those glossy types. It had published the same story with the photo. And that's two locations that I really don't have access to. Um, I don't know what uh, is in the boxes in the Oklahoma University's uh, city service collection. They've got stuff in there. They said they don't think they have that issue, but I wanted to go to Oklahoma and look, you know, but I can't really afford to take off time and go to Oklahoma. If I ever find myself there, I will probably stop by and look. And the other is the, in the Minnesota library situation, I don't know which issue and so I don't want to have to do a library exchange program where week after week I get one reel of the newspaper and go through the whole thing to see if the photo shows up, you know. Quite tedious. So it makes much more sense to go to Minnesota, which I don't have time or money to do. So, yeah, at some point you've got to say, okay, I can't keep spending money on this. Uh, right. I'll have to wait till, you know something else comes along.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, that's that's one thing that I've I've uh, oftentimes found in my investigations is that at some point, exactly as you said, you, you need to know when to, when to put the plug on it because, you know, there will always be another potential, you know, source. There will always be a potential another newspaper, you know, contemporary newspaper that you could look up. I mean, there's there's always more to it. And um, that's one of the – in, in my experience, that's one of the hardest parts is knowing is, you know – coming to in my case coming to my the satisfaction of saying I'm satisfied that this is enough um and uh and just saying you know what I'm not going to I'm not going to travel to the ends of the earth to to you know to to dot every every uh every i and cross every t if the the bulk of the mystery is solved
2: right
0: I don't think there's any shame in saying that we don't know either
2: No of course not no I mean, I've looked into it. I didn't find the answer, but that doesn't mean it's paranormal, right? There's a big difference between unexplained and paranormal. And those two words are tossed back and forth like they're equal and they're not. One is saying, I don't know the answer. And the other is saying that the answer lies outside of science and what it can understand.
0: That's Mm -hmm. not to say it's inexplicable either. It's just at this point in time, there's uh, insufficient evidence.
1: Well, let me. Well, let me. Let me come back to to the point about about knowing when to stop. I mean, the, it's important to recognize that that in the in the context that we're talking about here, we're talking about good skeptical investigation. And as as we've all seen from doing our own investigations, the point in which other people think that it's either a mystery or non mystery um, is is far earlier than than the point in which you know you or I would say, you know what there's no more we can do with it so uh you know in general i found that that uh the and i hate to say this because it sounds arrogant but it's it's mostly true that the worst skeptical investigation is often 10 times more thorough <laughs> than the best believer investigation
0: well, i think they would prematurely accept that something's paranormal mm-hmm. and not proceed any further
1: Right, right, because because if and in many ways it's just a matter of you know if if you just throw up your arms and say it's a mystery then hey then it, it's it, the problem is solved <laughs> it was,
0: to a, to an extent yes right I, you know
1: at any point down the line Blake could have just said you know what um, um, I give up on this I'm not going to go any further it's a mystery uh, but no you, you you keep going and then you you solve it to the best you can uh, but again I would I would. Be ha- I would happily put up any of the research investigations that any of us have done against anything that anyone else has done um, and, you know, and just see, see where the scholarship lies.
2: and find us on instagram tiktok and twitter at ChinwagPod and wagon right and i think in this case it's important to say okay look the the claim was that this ghost photo is the proof that these faces appeared in the water Yeah, i mean let's be honest i could never prove that faces did not appear in the water off the side of the water town i can't mm-hmm. prove that i can't prove that they did right? Even a ghost photo, even if it was a fantastic photo that didn't have any questions about it, it still doesn't prove that those are ghosts. Photos are terrible evidence for that kind of thing. But um, you got to go with what claim is worth investigating. And the one that I could investigate was, where did this photo come from? Is this photo genuine? Does it show any signs of tampering, right? That's the kind of line that I went down.
0: I think the most important thing with what you did too was to look for new information, whereas most other people who've supposedly investigated this story have just regurgitated.
2: Exactly, and they regurgitated the original investigation, not even the the newer one by Michael G. Mann, right? <laughs> they they took the old version and whatever like a little additional bits they needed to make it seem more authentic, and, and that's all they did. And that's not an investigation; that's telling a ghost story, retelling. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's cutting and pasting. And I mean, that goes back to one of my longtime pet peeves is I often wonder, you know, even today, I mean, when I when I pick up books that were published recently on the paranormal, I invariably, especially, you know, believer books, I invariably come up with case after case after case of of subjects that either there's no mention at all of any real, real skeptical investigation uh, or if there is, it's the sort of glossed over perfunctory stuff. Blake, in this particular case. Why do you think it was that, uh, that most of the writers went back to the original one, the original investigation?
2: I think it was probably because the, the longer investigation appeared in a magazine, but the original investigation appeared in a book. And it was probably easier for them to find Carrington's book in the library than it was Michael G. Mann's uh, investigation in Fate magazine. So
0: they just didn't do their homework at all.
2: Exactly. The only paranormal investigator who seemed to have dug deep was Scott Rogo. Uh, and he looked at both Carrington's and Michael Mann's investigation in one of his books. Uh, Rogo, I, I think Rogo, if, if I understand his position, uh, was pretty much a believer. But he certainly was a passionate and thorough investigator, or at least it seemed he was. But then he died rather... Abruptly, before he got to really get anywhere with his career, so it turns out that the I found with Joe Nichols' help, uh, absolutely falsifying evidence uh, for the Watertown case. I felt like even before that, I had pretty much tied it down as being bloody unlikely to be a real ghost photo. But um, um, with another with,
0: technical term,
2: yeah, it, with, <laughs> with like Joe's general. help, uh, we we really uh, absolutely put the uh, nail on the coffin or at least punctured the lifeboat that was keeping those guys afloat. So, <laughs> Well, to, to my mind, the real question
1: is, uh, how long will it be, if ever, if um, the final solution to the mystery makes it into ghost books um that to to my mind that's one of the big issues because of course you know i often come across investigations that that either you know i've done or other people have done or that i just i just factually know were solved (laughs) years sometimes decades earlier and i buy a book in you know 2009 2010 that apparently he's never heard of it and uh so i i certainly hope that uh that you know the writers who are researching this will will include uh, the the, uh, the definitive debunking.
0: They don't like to give the ending to the story. So if if there is uh, an answer, then it just won't be retold anymore.
1: Right. Well, yeah. You would you would think. I mean, it's like yeah, I. I the, the example that jumps to my mind is the um, the plesiosaur whale carcass that was brought up in74 whatever it was um, that was supposed to be you know this this monster
2: as we discussed uh, with uh, Glenn Cuban in a previous episode of monster
1: talk exactly um, I mean that's that's another perfect example of where uh, again that the solution to that mystery has been known at least ten 20 years i mean there's there's no real mystery about it and yet uh, it still appears in books of monsters.
0: In different forms, too.
2: (laughs) Yes. Exactly. So I actually talked to some of the people online who were um, interested in this story. For example, About.com has a top 10 ghost photo list. And at least three of the ghost photos on that list, I'm interested in investigating or have already started investigations on because I think they're solvable and not necessarily paranormal. Um, Which ones? Oh, you don't Well, the Wim Town Hall, um, I believe has a better solution than it's a ghost. Um, that's, uh, the one where there was a, uh, town hall burning in the eighties and a guy took some photos and one of the photos appears to show a girl's face on a balcony in the middle of a blazing inferno. Um, and it does look like a ghost, um, or a girl or something, but, um, I think there's more to it than the uh, current explanation and Goddard's squadron ghost photo. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, allegedly shows a ghostly face appearing in a photo taken uh, around the end of World War One at a uh, British base. And in the back row, like I say, there's a ghostly face just sort of appearing there halfway between two people.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I love that one. It's so creepy.
2: It is a creepy thing. And um, the woman who uh, was sort of the champion of the story uh, has passed away, uh, but she lived to be quite old. And I talked to her neighbors Uh, who helped her try to sort of promote the story and try to find an answer. Uh, And they sent me some very good quality uh, reproductions of the photo and a lot of news articles to go through. And I think that one's got a mundane explanation as well, Uh, but I want to get to the bottom of it. Um, so there's just several of these cases I've been looking into um, because, along the same lines as the Watertown. It's, they're interesting ghost photos. The one with the, the car, with the guy in the back of the car, I'd love to solve that one or, or at least find out more about that case. But when you're going to do an investigation like this, you have to have uh, leads and you have to have a very good plan and you, you have to figure out what it is you're looking for. Um, ben, do you want to kind of talk about your book and, and how it deals with these sort of issues?
1: to my mind, one of the first things you really need to do, and again, sort of all of us have touched on this, but is examine all the components of the claim, you know, figure out what exactly is being claimed here. Are these are these faces being claimed to be of, you know, crew members, or are they, you know, claimed to be of, you know, somebody, you know, in the case of the Watertown, or, you know, someone back home, or, you know, the captain who's still alive, or, you know, what exactly is the claim? And then, you know, it's often important to you know, track down, uh, you know, who, again, who made the claim? What's the provenance, particularly if you're talking about ghost photographs? Um, where did it come from? Uh, again, looking at looking for. Earlier versions of the same photograph, um, different variations, uh, some of them have arrows, some of them don't. <laughs> you know, sometimes the arrows may be obscuring information that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said, it's, it's always important to go to the, the original, uh, source as much as you can. And, and it's the same principle for anything. And particularly if we're, if we're talking about, like, in photographs, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, like, the, the Mansi photograph of, of, uh, Champ, the, the Lake Champlain monster. Uh, you know, when Joe and I, did that um we didn't just we weren't just satisfied with the the commonly available photograph of champ um that was uh you know it's published in 1981 i actually went to go see the original photograph in in a bank vault uh held by sandra mancy's lawyer um and he very kindly kindly let me examine the original photograph which apparently almost nobody had done before in fact i think i even sent youtube guys a, a photograph of the photograph Uh, which, um, almost nobody has seen, but it was really important to get, to get, you know, again, going back to the original, because oftentimes, uh, all the, all the photos that, that people see, especially in books and on the internet, are cropped, you know, oftentimes are cropped by half or more. And so, you're, you're just leaving out a whole lot of information that could potentially help solve the, the mystery. Um, and then, you know, you need to just look into the different levels of it. I mean, if you're looking at, if you're looking at a particular ghost, uh, f- ghost, you know, if you're looking at a particular ghost location, for example, when Karen went to Waverly, um, it's important to you know, understand what, what's being claimed at this particular location, who's claiming it, under what conditions, um, but also, of course, it's important to have a broader knowledge of ghost claims in general, um, because oftentimes some of the claims that, uh, oftentimes the, the claims will be virtually identical from place to place. So, if you're investigating a haunted house outside of Los Angeles, uh, oftentimes virtually identical claims will be made, uh, you know, in a haunted cemetery, um, or, you know, a haunted factory in, in Louisiana or wherever else. And so, there's obviously clusters of, of claims that you, that you examine and you bring to it. And the more of these you do, of course, the more experience you have. So, um, so I, to my mind, there's really sort of like, three three different levels you have to to bring to it. The first one is sort of seeing the 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 overall uh, question uh, in terms of you know what 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 is the nature of of ghosts and what 's claimed to be the nature of ghosts and how do we go about it and then you then you sort of you know focus more closely on on um, on the you know the ghost claims. At that particular place, um, you know, again, what's being claimed when, and then then you go even further, an, another level of of, um, of focus to the very specific claims. So it's one thing to say uh, that you know that there are v- weird voices occurring, um, you know, on, on summer nights when the when the moon is full. Uh, the question then becomes, well. Which, which particular summer night when the moon is full was that? Who, who was that? Who were there exactly? What, what did the voices allegedly say? Are the recordings of this, etc.?
2: You want to find the primary sources. Great, great if you can talk to a person. But even if you're talking to a person, what they wrote immediately after seeing something or having experienced something is going to probably be better than what they remember about it later. right?
0: But still anecdotal.
2: It's still anecdotal, but still, if you're just trying to get the details for whatever the claim is, you you want to get as close to primary as possible. So I'm not sure if I would take the primary testimony of a woman 80 years after an incident versus what she wrote a day after seeing something. You you have to look at both, I guess, if you have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But when you go to look at that primary resource or talk to that person, you have to listen to every detail. Because anything they say may be the little piece that you need to move forward, forward in the case. Um, you know maybe they, th- they say the name of a company, or you know, the name of, uh, or the, the month when something happened, or is some detail about the weather,, you know, or, or mm-hmm. something that could give you guidance to determine uh, the next place to look, or if the story is true you know you're just like a detective trying to solve a murder case or something mm-hmm. in a you know it's just you're you're looking for whatever clues you can find yeah. and, and and it's really important to just go over those things again and again and make sure you're really understanding everything that's being said or written
1: let me just quick throw in one thing that i, I do find uh, that, that's very important that isn't done nearly often enough is reconciling a first person eyewitness account with a photograph Oftentimes, what you find in, in these sorts of uh, in ghost researching is that you will be presented with a photograph and a couple sentences about how mysterious the photograph is, and nothing else. Or you'll you know you'll get a, a couple sentences or a paragraph of you know some some weird eerie thing that was cited, or whatever else. For every ghost photograph, there is an eyewitness. There was somebody who was there. There was someone that snapped that photo. Now, as both of you know, a lot of times they claim they don't see the the ghostly image until afterwards. And, of course, there are a variety of reasons for that.
2: But if they claim –
1: Right, or EVP, for example. But, for example, if they say that – it's much rarer, but there are, of course, cases where people will say that they saw – a weird image and then they they photographed it specifically for that purpose in those cases um it's important to seek out both again the original best photograph you can um and also uh you know find out what what exactly the conditions were because a lot of times if you just have a photograph you have no idea what the conditions were um you have no idea who else was there what time of day it was or anything else like that. So um, that's that's something that I think uh, oftentimes gets overlooked. I want to
2: address something you, you asked earlier, um, which is it's kind of an important issue, um, which is if you do these investigations and you come to conclusions, what do you do with the results? And how do you make those results known to the rest of the paranormal investigating world, whether they be on the believer side or the skeptical side? It's tricky. Um when I was doing my investigation into um, the, the the ghost in Lord Dufferin, um, it turned out that the solution had already been found, and then had already been found again by two very competent paranormal investigators um, about fifty years apart, and then I did it again, you know, twenty years after that. So. <clears throat> <laughs> We do waste... We wasted the time. So, so let me just... uh, This is very interesting. So, at the time... So, briefly, the story was that um, the the English diplomat, Lord Dufferin, uh, had seen a ghost. That's a very short version. Um, (laughs) Yes. It doesn't get much shorter than that. No, it doesn't. Um, The case had been uh, written up by a guy named Camille Flammarion as a true story. Uh, This is a Frenchman. And... A skeptical French newspaper journalist uh, named Paul Husay, uh decided to dig into the case. He had done a lot of investigations. In fact, the book copy that I was looking at online had been in Houdini's personal collection. This was uh, a guy that uh, Houdini uh, revered enough to pick up his book and put it in his uh, investigative library. Um, so Paul Husay, uh wrote a book in 1923, Do the Dead Live. And... I like this passage he wrote. Again, this is 1923. He's talking about Camille Flammarion, who just, without any uh, skepticism whatsoever, reprinted a story which was easily proven to not be true with just a little bit of work. I mean, Just a tiny bit of work. In this case, going down the street or making a phone call or writing a letter to the people involved and discovering that the story was made up. Um, so he writes, Good heavens! But as someone looking over my shoulder remarked, if you were to make these same investigations in connection with the facts published as happening nowadays, you'd find the signs of invention. Thus, 50 years hence, when a specialist in these matters publishes a new work of propaganda, he will calmly collect all the legends, including that of Lord Dufferin, in order to make his book. And he would have to. Otherwise, I mean, if the authors of these works were themselves to verify the authenticity of their narratives... The said works would remain merely notebooks of blank paper, which is, you know, pretty awesome. (laughs) It's so
0: beautifully written.
2: (laughs) The thing is, he's so right. And not only was he right, but 50 years hence, people were reprinting the story of Lord Dufferin, the ghost uh, story as true.
0: The interesting parts.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the interesting parts, not the fact that it had been debunked, you know, almost immediately uh, by this guy. And then those true stories were in turn uh, investigated and proven to be untrue, and then again by me. That what I what got me surprised, and this is where it all really where I'm going with this, it was being reprinted on Wikipedia is true, haha. Mm-hmm. So, as um, outlined in uh, Daniel Loxton's uh, "Where Do We Go From Here? What Do We Do Next?" those essays. Um, fix Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Um, Wikipedia is like the number one place people go to get information. And there are lots and lots of paranormal entries out there. Um, The trick is I can't go onto Wikipedia and write up an article and say, I solved the Watertown ghosts. They are not real. I just wanted to say that, you know, or whatever. I, even if I do it very nicely, that's not how Wikipedia works. But because my research has now been published in 40+ Times, someone besides me could go write an entry on the Watertown and explain that the ghosts were not real, explain why the ghosts were not real, and put the photo there. And um, maybe that would help curtail some of this ridiculous echo chamber ghost story repetition. As a skeptic, I like the truth. Now that being said, as a uh, fan of the paranormal or a paranormal enthusiast, however you want to put it, I I enjoy a good ghost story. Uh, I like to be scared. I just happen to think that the
0: um, you can differentiate.
2: You're right. I can differentiate between you know a scary story and a true story, or a true scary story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, but but skeptics uh, can, with very little effort, can do these kind of investigations. Or even with more than a little effort can do these kind of investigations if they, if they're if they're careful and they can solve their own cases
0: yeah, well, these things have to be a team effort, and I guess with these uh these precedents, it demonstrates that there is thorough research that's often out there, or if you do your your, your research thoroughly uh you'll find that the information exists or can potentially be out there uh so it's just a matter of what's really regurgitated and um, it's just a matter of digging deeper in everything.
2: Exactly. And and, and I think we have, you know, it, there's something like five or 6,000 people who listen to Monster Talk every week. Um, hopefully that number will keep going up. But
0: Haven't s- they got anything else better to do?
2: <laughs> Don't, we, we established last week that they were sitting by a fire listening to the show, drinking tea, wearing a tinfoil dunce cap.
0: Or whiskey.
2: <laughs> or, or drinking whiskey, that's right.
0: Smoking a cigar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all my, all I'm saying is if they took the time to pick up a laptop and also fix Wikipedia, that would be a great way to spend an evening. Um,
1: <laughs> I, I think, you're, I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, that's always been one of the issues that I've had is that, you know, and you and I have discussed this earlier, where as exactly as you point out, a lot of the skeptical sources are great. Uh, skeptical Inquirer magazine is, is a fine magazine. Um, and, uh, my upcoming book that you two are part of is also fine, and Dan Loxton's and, and plenty of other places. But that's not where the bulk of people go. They go to Wikipedia. And, unfortunately, they often take, you know, that as quasi-gospel. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would love it if we had, uh, you know, a small team of people who could, eat, who could devote, you know, an hour or two, uh, a week, uh, or even a month. I mean, it's, it's there's almost none of it going on now, so anything is better than nothing. Uh, if we had a couple people who could just, you know, devote a little time here or there, um, you know, uh, that it could be enormous advances made in terms of bringing some skepticism and science uh, to it. So I, I hope that uh, you know we can get some people in there to help out with that.
2: It's a fantastic project. anybody can do it. The barrier to entry is very low, um, and you can take Skeptical Inquirer or Skeptic Magazine, or you. Any kind of written uh, verifiable source and use that to fix Wikipedia and f- get rid of the nonsense that's in there. Well, one of the things that I, I've, I've often
1: felt that should be done would is to, uh, when you see new rehashes, uh, for lack of a better word, of these sorts of cases, would be to call them on it. Um, you know, uh, just in the past uh, week, I mean, I, I picked up two recent books um, that had information that I know for a fact was out of date on a variety of topics. And part of me sort of said, you know, I, I had to track down the author and send him a nasty email or call him and say, and just, you know, or not nasty, just just politely say, why isn't there a skeptical point of this? I mean, I it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sincere question. I honestly don't know. Is it because... You didn't do your research, and you haven't seen the the information, or did you just purposely ignore it or leave it out or I, I'm genuinely curious as to know why these sorts of things don't get in there and if the answer is simple mystery mongering um, then then fine but um oh not fine, but <laughs> that's at least an answer uh, but if the answer is simply that um, that the the authors and the researchers didn't do any actual research, that is, they just sort of copied, you know, cut and paste, um, then at least if someone like one of us or or one of our listeners contacts them and says, look, um, I read your book, I read your recent article, um, you know, you, you should be aware that your material is out of date and there's another perspective on this. And they may or may not change it the next time, but at least they won't have the excuse that no one told them. They can't say um, the next time down the road that, um, that someone didn't tell them. In fact, there was a, there was a case um, with, the, with the, uh, the White Witch of Rose Hall, which I, which I discussed in the last episode, where after I solved that case, I contacted Jeff Ballinger, uh, Jeff Ballinger of uh, ghostvillage.com, who's written several books, including a, a recent encyclopedia of haunted places around the world. And, uh, I contacted him with the results of my, my, um, Rose Hall investigation. And sure enough, I got his, uh, his recent book, 2010 book, uh, on the encyclopedia of world places, uh, world, the world's most haunted places. And sure enough, Rose Hall is there and there's no mention of it. And, um, I know for a fact that Bellinger knew of my research because I specifically, <laughs> I specifically sent it to him, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, so you have to ask yourself well well, why is that if if he was told two years ago and you given the story <laughs> i well right, okay, but then then fine, so I spoiled the story uh, but if you if you're going to write a book that you're claiming is is accurate and is you know is at least theoretically giving the whole perspective, um then you should include something uh you know if if it's been legitimately solved then 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 he you should, should point that out. If, you know, if his position is, well, I don't think it was solved to my satisfaction, then address that. Then say, you know, this was investigated in 2007 by this this you know, guy, Ben Radford, but I think he's wrong because of this, this, and this. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is these mystery mongers who intentionally omit important skeptical information just to, just to sell a book or because they think that their audience – um, is, is going to, you know, put the book down if, they're, uh, if they bring some skepticism to it.
0: Well, they should acknowledge any research that's out there, but I think in that regard we'll find that historians are our best friends, really people who are writing true histories of these places, uh, of premises rather than ghost stories and folklore.
2: Uh, skeptics and historians usually have much in common, especially as investigator types.
1: Absolutely. mm hmm mm-hmm.
2: Anything else you want to say about your book or about paranormal investigations in general?
1: It's important to re- recognize that uh, these sorts of investigations do require some level of, uh, of, of skepticism to it, obviously, and also some, some proficiency. Um, particularly in ghost hunting, there is a perception that anybody can do it. Anybody can be a ghost hunter. Anybody can be a paranormal investigator because, of course, they see uh, the, the TAPS crew on the Ghost Hunters TV show who are plumbers by day and ghost hunters uh, on the weekends. And there's nothing wrong with that except for the fact that uh, they're not bringing good science to it. And and there's this sort of democratization of investigation in which um, there's this perception, again, from, from TV and elsewhere that – Anybody, any student, housewife, pizza delivery boy, anybody else can go out and hunt for ghosts. Um, And that's true. I mean, you can, you know, same with communicating. Can you do it
0: well?
2: (laughs) Exactly. Can you You solve the case? That's the question. Right.
1: And 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 to to my mind, that's really the issue. The issue is not can you walk around, uh, you know, an abandoned hospital uh, with an EMF detector and flashlight. Of course you can. Anybody can do that. That's not the issue. The issue is. Are you getting? Are you finding solutions? Are you are you using scientific methodologies? Are you bringing critical thinking to it? Are you finding conclusive uh, answers to these mysteries? Uh, and almost all the time, there are a couple exceptions, but for the most part, a lot of these ghost hunters and these amateur paranormal investigators, um, they don't come up with anything remotely resembling a conclusive answer. It's always. Well, you know, we did the stakeout, and we got this weird photograph here, and that may or may not be a ghost. Um, we should go look at it again sometime, and they move on. Oh, Whereas,
0: they or, or, yeah, or they do or, draw conclusions. Or,
1: or, or the answer is, you know, it's haunted, and, and we'll move on. Whereas if you look <laughs> at the investigations that we do, uh, and other people do as well, uh, the certainly the skeptical ones, oftentimes you do have an answer. There is a solution um so it's not just sort of this open-ended arbitrary question uh no we we have a pretty good answer as to you know whether the lord dufferin story is true or not we have a pretty good answer as to whether there are actually body shoots in the Waverley sanitarium we have a pretty good answer as to whether there's a uh, a woman named annie palmer haunting rose hall in jamaica
0: and i think as we've said before the excitement is in solving the mystery not in the mystery itself if mm-hmm. we can.
2: And we have a pretty good answer about whether there were ghosts off the side of the Watertown, and you can read about that in the current issue of and Times Magazine. <laughs> awesome.
0: Cool. Monster Talk.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. I'm Blake Smith, and in this episode we discussed historical ghost investigations and the basics of how to use scientific and logical methods to solve paranormal mysteries. My co-hosts are... Dr. Karen Stolzno, blogger, investigator, and one of the regular hosts of the Center for Inquiries podcast, Point of Inquiry, and Benjamin Radford, journalist, investigator, and managing editor of Skeptical Inquirer magazine. Ben's upcoming book on scientific paranormal investigation is the basis for much of the material in this episode. Look for that and his upcoming book on the Chupacabra at radfordbooks.com. My detailed write-up of the investigation of the Watertown Ghosts is in the April UK edition and the May US edition of Fortean Times magazine. The article has some interesting photos of my recreation experiment, and I hope you enjoy it. Monster Talk is produced with the much-needed assistance of Skeptic magazine. Sure, there are skeptics of the paranormal, but the happiness I get when I pick up an issue of Skeptic magazine is magical. The opening music for this episode was the naval hymn, Eternal Father Strong to Save, and comes from Archive.org, used by permission. The theme music for Monster Talk is by Peach Stealing Monkeys, also used by permission. Thanks for listening. more skepticism want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time then subscribe to skeptic the quarterly magazine stephen jay gould
0: called the best journal in the field to subscribe visit skeptic.com
2: today oh i'll tackle Nessie. i'll (laughs) tackle her she'll put the please in plesiosaur (laughs) Uh,
0: don't don't get him started
2: step into the world of power loyalty